Uh, welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and this is um, another installment of my uh, series of Truth in This Art Beyond, where right now I'm focusing um, with the fine folks in Austin, Texas. I have curated a list of folks, and today um, I have the privilege of speaking with President and CEO of Edge of Your Sea Consulting, Inc., and the current um, CEO of Six Square here in Austin. Please welcome Pamela Benson Owens. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here. Glad to have you on. And also much compliments to your eyewear as well. Um, <laughs> I'm a fan of good eyewear. Thank you. I'm a fan of good eyewear as well. It's my thing. I dig it. Um, it, it was um, one time I bought these glasses that I'm wearing currently. And one of my uh, peers was like, oh, that's E. St. Laurent. I was like, oh, these old things. I literally just got them. Sticker was still on them. <laughs> I have 88 pairs. The joke around here is I wear, I pretty much wear black or some version of black every day. Yeah. So I don't have to think about it, but I'm going to definitely have good glasses on. I love it. I love it. Um, so I want to start off with um, having, you know, you introduce yourself because I, I'm giving the, the copy and paste, right? I'm giving like, this is the official title. And as we were talking about a little bit, eh, we call it something different. We might call it this, we might call it that. So could you introduce yourself and tell us about um, Edge of Your Seat Consulting? Absolutely. So Pamela Benson Owens, I am a longtime entrepreneur here in Austin. I'm not an Austinite because my mother did not birth me here, but I'm married to a native Austinite who will not allow me to call myself an Austinite. She was actually birthed here. Uh, but I've been here a long time since I was a kid. And I've been in business for a very long time. And the reason why I, people are always like, you wear a lot of hats is because by nature of my consulting firm, a lot of times we go into organizations that might need organizational culture support, things management support, HR infrastructure, uh, stabilizing funding. And I will actually become part of the staff and get them uh, strengthened as an organization and back out and go to the next thing. So at any given time, I'm always the CEO of Edge Your Seat, but I might also be the VP of Institutional Advancement at Houston Tilton, the Executive Director at Umlauf Garden, um, you know, the CEO of Six Square, which is our Black Cultural Arts District. I got that assignment four years ago when the volun the elders volun told me <laughs> I was that job, and so that's why it appears like why is she there? Why is she there? Because I'm about doing whatever needs to be done. I dig it. I, and I, and I love hearing that. I, you know, it's like from what I'm hearing and, and what I read, it's like, you're the fixer. You're the person that they, they, they like, they hit up like, look, we need PBO to come in here, sort this out, <laughs> get this right. I, I, I take that, that title humbly. I don't know if I always have the answers, but by way of my style of leadership, I think the questions are more important. Mm -hmm. so I do think, I don't know if I always fix it, but I do think that I try to come forth with what questions should we be asking ourselves and what yeah. we have missed. So um, I humbly take that seat. I, I found out in the last couple of years from the younger set, I call them the Thundercats, <laughs> that I am an elder now too. And so I am trying to uh, take that role on with deep uh, respect and admiration for those in this community who show up every day doing the work. Yeah. 
it's um it's it's odd when you turn and when you realize that you're now an elder like i have been told that oh you're the podcast elder because i've been doing it for as long as i have and i'm like look i'm i'm 37 i don't i can't i can't take that title yet can we can we hold off a little bit <laughs> it's so hard it's so hard i was reminded by a colleague who i started with in the community that after i got done with college and moved back to austin that i took my first first board seat in a nonprofit prior to being 21 and legal degree he was like hey you were 20. i was like was i <laughs> and uh so that seems like many moons ago but it just speaks to being the child of two parents who just just demanded that we know our community and and work actively in it so community-based work, community-focused work is is very important. And it, 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 would you say that's one of the the drivers, one of the motivators for just holistically the work that you're doing? It, I think it definitely is. I am of the school of thought that if one of us is not doing well or suffering, we all are. And so I will never get comfortable, even though we've done well and we are thankful. And um, we, when my husband and I married, we lived in East Austin. And when it was time to kind of expand, gentrification made it such that we could not live there or stay there. So we moved out to the outskirts, but it doesn't mean that we don't return every day to do the work. And I think that is the motivator. And, and we don't want, I just don't want liberation for Black folk. That's huge. But I want us to be co creators of a community where inclusivity isn't a punchline. Like we're actually inclusive, right? Austin has this label of being progressive and accepting. We have a lot of work to do because the black folks are leaving. So we're not hitting it. We're not doing it. it it's it's this attempt and this this might be I had this conversation earlier today. Uh, at times that feels like there is a a rebranding of stuff and there's certain buzzwords that I I feel that they're buzzwords that it's like, this is the thing to say, but I don't know if it's actually in practice. Case in point, when people talk about, oh, we're doing impact work, or it's like, are you though? Or, right. you know, recently we're, what, as we're recording this, we're about five days or so removed or within a, a week of uh, Juneteenth, right? And I just remember watching it on CNN and it was just like being commercialized and resold to us. And I was like, these are Pan-African colors. Juneteenth has its own flag. I was like, did they rebrand freedom? And, and I, was, I was just like bugged out about it. And there is to, to, I think what you were touching on, it's kind of, it happens in so many pockets of feeling progressive and feeling quote unquote woke. And that's not what's happening. <laughs> right, right. And I will also say that as, as somebody that's been doing it a while, you have to guard against settling. Right. It's so pervasive. The rebrand, the, 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 you know, Juneteenth ice cream. Uh, they had cocoa butter. They had cocoa butter. I saw it. I was like, I look, Vaseline too. I'm like, really? <laughs> Don't be ashy on Juneteenth. Here's some Vaseline. <laughs> Free yourself from ash. Right. 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 Liberate yourself from ash. Right. Like, okay. So, so in all of that, what I have to be careful to, about though is deadly like well at least they did something like i think they depend on us to do that like we gave you some ice cream what's your problem the problem is that is absolutely performative and you didn't even get it right 
Yeah, that's that's the thing where you can watch the. I, I try not to be because it's a thin line and I don't want to have the this notion of conflict between, you know, groups that ultimately should be together, people of color that should be together. But at the same time, it's this notion of don't let other people determine what it should be. Don't people of color yourself out of doing what's right by black folks, doing what's right by brown folks and so on, because it's it turns into a, a, a lump of people. And it's like, oh, we gave you all something. As opposed to, okay, this is being earmarked specifically for black women or black men or so on, however they want to cohort that out. So it's, it's, it's a really weird dynamic and it's important to your, to your point, I think, to not settle and be aware of it and be cognizant of what's going on. But, uh, but not only that, when that happens repeatedly, it also creates oppression Olympics and a, <sighs> and a comparative pain. Yeah project yep. between groups right so it's like okay why are you asking me we just gave you the, the juneteenth ice cream i know you don't want this thing right so it, it actually creates an inner lining of the, the psyche between groups too mm-hmm. that perpetuates a scarcity mentality mm-hmm. not good that creates like a comparative thing well oh no well we, well, we ours was work it just it's just it's not good yeah i i, I saw a little bit of that um at least where i'm at like last month and um it was interesting because I think it was both AAPI month and like Jewish heritage month. And I just remember there was some weird conflicts and conversation. I was like, it can be both. I I don't know what you guys want. Like, (laughs) right. But you know, what's so scary about that? The reason why it always falls into the either or mode is because we are conditioned by way of white supremacy where you have to pick. Mm -hmm. We need to be on the both and and not the either or. Why can't, because also peppered in there in that month were a bunch of other things that Hallmark made up. Sibling day, <laughs> all the time, yep. right? It, we get the opportunity to hold in its entirety those things and those things can also coexist and not diminish each other. Yeah, right? and, and it's like these things have come up in, in a big, bad uh, Madison Avenue sort of way post pandemic. And it's just like, like I see it. And I think a lot of people see it and it's just like, look, I'm going to take my day and enjoy it. And like, I was taken aback, I want to say a little bit on, uh, but I also had to recognize where I was at. Um, on Monday, it was just, you know, older white dude had to be in the sixties. He was like, happy Juneteenth. And I was like, thanks bro. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, but it's better than when I first experienced, I was walking in a park, um, doing my normal, normal, like I was jogging rather in the park. And I saw these two white dudes. One was wearing like a koofy and I was like, look, man, this is a costume now on, on the, like the last Juneteenth. I was like, what's happening? Not to be confused with the family that showed up at our event and they all had on <laughs> matching black Juneteenth shirt with white writing. Like they were a dance team and <laughs> absolutely so excited to be there. I didn't know what to do with that. I was like, mm-hmm. how do I feel about that? And, and the thing is, you, you sit there, you, you observe it, and it's you almost have to do that dissection. At least that's what I try of, all right, what's the intent here? Or what do I think the intent is? And, it's, and, and sometimes I have to kind of catch myself because I was like, all right, that was weird, but also, you know what? I'm in the South. This dude didn't have to say anything. He could have just kept strolling. And I was like, all right, at least there's some attempt to shift things and maybe change the hearts and minds. And 
that's that's something, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's still, you know, notice the full spectrum of things that are happening. I think we, though, have to be willing to say what's the intent and be able to, and be able to think about, too, the people doing that. Mm-hmm. What's the impact? Like, yeah. Is it a positive impact? Is it a negative impact? Like, don't stop the conversation at intent. Like, my intentions can be good and I can harm you. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. And I think that's that's the that's the that's the thing that we do very well here. Um, and, that, and this this is veering off, but also it's still worth saying when we do these things of like cancellations and things of that. I rather have the discourse and understand fully what the situation is versus you know it's almost like editing. It's like let me put that three second delay on it because I don't want this out there. And it's like no, let's understand this so I can fully get why you suck <laughs> or whatever well, it is. Yeah, let's sit in the messiness of the three minute delay. Mm-hmm. Let's just sit in it. And if I don't have all the answers after I have done that, that's okay too. Yeah. Sometimes there isn't closure on it. Still, rather have the hard conversation. Yeah, it's it's the same way as you know any entrepreneur when you're dealing with a website. Your ne- website's never done. No, you're always working on it. So this is something much more important: the social component of people and getting together and working together and degree of unity. All of these different things that we aim for, right? Um, it is not something that okay, we're done with that, right? That was last year. We doing something else right. this year, <laughs> right? But the other thing is that's anything for me. I you don't ever graduate from your blackness. <laughs> There's not like you don't get like a like how do you know when there's not a woke graduate like you're we're not monolithic we're not monolithic right we're you know we are all creating it um as we're doing it and and we're visiting ourselves when we know more it it should be able to stand as such I say that to artists all the time like you don't have to define you don't have to define what what is art to you right next year define to you what art is right now in a pandemic where you're having to where supplies are like and and that's a that's a thing that happens a lot where is going to the art conversation it's it's interesting like i'm an advocate for this being you know podcast being a platform being a version being art and you know oftentimes people want to classify it as a it's a marketing tactic or it's uh just journalism is this is that it's like i do mine's artfully I, I, I don't just go after who's popping. I go after who I think I can have a cool conversation with, who I think has something of merit to talk about. It's curated. There's a curatorial part to this. There's preparation. There's a lot of things to go into it. And I almost don't use the term podcaster anymore because it feels deprecated. It feels kind of kind of icky. Yeah. I agree. So, I agree. And you know what? I have found that usually label it, that then become chains for us, are not uh necessarily creative mm. and mm-hmm. so they then for for them cognitively they have to label it in order and, and minimize it in order for it to be tangible for them but those of us who get it understand this is our understand that curated conversations are a dying thing that people go up to a certain point but they're not willing to have all the, the questions that you know or all the conversations i think i think even on, on down to like i have a a person that I'm real close to in there, and she's like, I'm a chef. I'm like, no, you're not. You are a food architect. <laughs> I love it. Right? Like, don't, don't, just because people cannot hold your gifting, Rob, like, mm-hmm. don't let them, don't let them push you into their, what their cognition can absorb. Yeah. 
one of my one of my friends was uh he he was a food blogger and that's what he was calling himself and i was like no you're an epicurean journalist he right. was like damn that sounds good i was like oh i know <laughs> i was like i have a marketing yep. background <laughs> yep somebody on our team is a writer regine she's amazing and and she um, started these whole these whole um series of articles on pocket food like every culture has a food that fits in something taco yeah. empanada like she started doing that it was amazing and so one day she was talking about like i gotta do you know i'm getting ready to write this and i'm like you are getting ready to educate an entire <laughs> community of people on why harbor safe harbor like comfort food yeah and she was like oh okay i'm like you're right it's art yeah your work the way you put those words together it's art absolutely so I want to shift into this question because, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and just, you know, the nature of how this conversation has gone so far, I think that this, this one is very prudent. Often we hear the saying, uh, it's uh, business and not personal. And I think that idea is, you know, using my term again, deprecated because it's still people. And hence, if it's people, it is personal. Uh, describe the role of people and specifically like empathy when it comes to the, the work that you're in. So I got a really good opportunity. I, I, I always say that, you know, in leadership, it's always going to be people before profit. And I don't say that as a tagline. I mean it. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to be consciously aware of who is working around you and beside you and that you cannot lead for sake of the agenda, the, the KPI, the goal, the metrics. Mm -hmm. I got a really good heaping dose of that the last two years of the pandemic, right? And so what I realized is this is when I needed my leadership, my empathy monitor was off. When I would have just general one-on-ones with the team and say, hey, I just want to check in with you. We're in a pandemic because we were isolated. Like we hadn't seen each other. Yeah. And that virtual thing is a whole other you know, discussion. And I would get online and go, how are you doing? And they would immediately go into their to-do list and give me, and I would go, stop. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. right. That told me right now, right then, that I was not leading the best I could from a empathy perspective that they automatically went into their to-do list. So the reset for me was several racial reconciliation sabbaticals for the team paid. Yeah. And and it was, we're shutting it down. If you answer an email, if you respond, like I would test them. If you respond to a text, the group text, if you answer an email, I need y'all to go off into a cabin in the woods and say, this is Texas. And just, <laughs> and just he, be, right? Mm -hmm. And that had not been done specifically in the nonprofit. They're like, wait, what? Yeah, because they are absolutely harmed, hurt. After the George Floyd thing, mm -hmm. we were on sides. Like, there's no way to lead into that without empathy. There's no way to gut through that when it was so painful to walk through so you either lean yeah. into it with empathy or you're going to lose your team yeah absolutely that simple so to me business and not personal business is personal yeah it's the only way to do it and I, and I think the stuff that we're seeing now with how the great resignation and things of that nature we're, we're seeing it we're seeing like People are leaving because of, you know, wages and things of that nature, but also you got to like where you're, you're working and, you know, 
last year, for instance, my, my day job, I was really considering other options. And the thing that really kept me where I was at was I actually like it here. I like what I do. I like my boss. I like the people that I work with for the most part, because they leave me alone <laughs> and other places. It's just probably not that. And it's like that peace of mind, that, that personal thing, that thing that matters to me as an individual, you know, that that's factors into my decision. So again, you're, you're right. When, and, and one of the things that came up was, you know, when, when George Floyd and the fallout with that happened, I remember, uh, my, my boss is like, uh, my boss is a white woman. She was like, I'm not black. Y'all need to take a day. Take it, please. Um, take care of yourselves. Cause it's, it's rough out here and it's, it's bad. You know, and and it's like she got it, you know, she she got what people needed. And it's this thing where we like to be resilient in a, in a weird way, resilient in a uh, economic sort of way. So we we're doing the trials and all of that stuff for uh, January 6th right now and wrapping that up. Uh, we, we had that happen. We have school shootings and things of that things of that nature happen. And we just bounce back like it didn't happen. We just got to go back to work. We just have to carry that with all our different, you know, maybe attachments to it. Like, oh, I got a kid. That could have been my kid. Or they stormed the Capitol, like our democracy, you know, the fabric of what this country is supposed to be. And we're expected to like the 24 hour news cycle. Let's move on to something else. We're done with that. Right. I call it resilience abuse. I call it resilience abuse. And it is scary mm-hmm. that by way of you know how we're expected to show up we're just supposed to keep going and it's become abusive it's like you're resilient you're resilient well i'm sick of that word i don't want what if i don't want to be resilient right what if i need a minute what if i need to process we don't allow for it as a matter of fact we see that as weakness whereas people that stop mm-hmm. their footing it's strength yeah but we position it as weakness yeah um so I got I got a couple more here before I get to those rapid fire questions that everyone loves. Uh, so, any are there any thoughts or advice um, that you would share with um, like young entrepreneurs, CEOs within this kind of current uh, economic climate um, and employment climate, as we were kind of touching on a bit there? Yeah, I, I have a lot to say. Um, if you have not taken the time to really think about who you are and who you want to be as an entrepreneur, spend that time up front. That allows you to have a boundary and framework around what's not negotiable for you early on. And then I always say to uh, entrepreneurs that I'm coaching or giving advice to that whatever your framework is, figure it out and use it to make your decisions. So for me, I'm always on this three uh, prong approach of what do I need to lift? What do I need to care about and lift? What do I need to leverage? Like what's already out there that I can partner with and leverage and make bigger? And what do I need to leave the hell alone? Right. And that's I, it. And I and I sit in that space and people are like, that's all you need? That's all you need. So when I'm sitting in spaces and I'm like, oh my gosh, let me think about what I need to lift. I might not be doing 50 things because I can't do 50 things great, but I can do three things great. So it becomes, what am I going to leave alone? What am I not going to do, right? Sometimes I start there. What am I not going to be doing? What, what, what does not define me in this work? And I think what happens is you get scared because the money is real or not, and you start morphing and taking on stuff and thinking you have to be everything, and you don't. And you look up, you're burned out, you're tired, 
people don't have good boundaries with you. I'm really big on in the beginning. I did all that. I gave it away. I was just happy to be in the space. I, I just got ready to do a podcast and somebody said, Pam, what do you, what would you say to entrepreneurs when people say to them, Hey, you'll get exposure. I said, I would say that's code for free. <laughs> yes. And don't do it. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's a marketing budget that's sitting there. There is a now, like in, in, as a podcaster, it, it's funny as saying that, but it, it is. And, you know, there have been times that, you know, from the vantage point that I'm in, like I've been doing this for a very long time. And if someone comes to me like, oh, we can offer you space or exposure. I was like, yeah. So what's your marketing budget like? Because that's where the conversation, I can send you an MO, MOU or I can see your proposal. Right. And, and, and that that changes the conversation a bit. And it's like, yeah, no, this isn't some fly by night. And if you want that, you know, it's easy. You do it. If, hey, if you knew how to do it. Why would you hit me up? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm big on that. And I I get mad because like even in this city in the last couple of years, when I first got in the role at Six Square, artists were mad coming to me talking about they've never been paid for whatever. So one of the big things that we onboarded was we do no programming without the ability to pay the artist. Period. Absolutely will not do it, right? And so we spent a lot of time talking about money and investing, right? So we've done DJ residencies and we've even said, we're going to pay over market rate to stand in the gap for ways in which mm -hmm. they out. And Sometimes when I'm in meetings and somebody's like, like this corporation called me that we'd really like a DJ for our all hands meeting. I'm like, that's great. It'll cost this. And they're like, oh, well, we were just hoping that they, you know, cause they're going to be exposed to, I said, no, I was just perpetuating the cycle. If I told them to give away their talent for free. And did you say that to the white caterer, mm -hmm. the sound crew and the people that did your, 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 your little goodies for your table? You did yeah. not. Absolutely not. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that's important. And, you know, the, the spot that I'm in at times where, like, I know what it takes to run my ship and, you know, I own my equipment and I'm quote unquote, the talent behind it. So, well, not quote unquote, but I'm the talent behind it. So, you know, when there, I may ask for, for over what I actually need and what I do because of some of the circumstances in Baltimore, um, I try to help out artists when I can. I'm like, yo, I like what you do. What's your cash app? I'm just going to send you something because I know that film for sake of argument costs more for photographers. And if I'm in a spot, I have a salary, I have a salary job. You know, I want to be able to have this creative practice separate from the day job in a, in a, in a, in a true sense. But if there's a situation where I can help somebody out and that 75, that hundred dollars, whatever can help them put out work, then yeah. that's what I feel my role is. Well, I think that's so beautiful. I hope everybody on podcast hears that I say all the time, like if you really, you know, you, we, we take advantage, like, especially in COVID, how often did you utilize the arts as a mm -hmm. coping mechanism? Like how many times? And so why would we not think we would want to invest and pay for that? So, and, and, you know, so if you're coming to a concert and you just buy the ticket, you haven't really done anything. Like by the time they dice that up, how does the person get health insurance? How does a person get supplies? Whatever there are, how does that person travel and share their gifts? Yeah. Cold, hard cash. So yes. I always say to people going beyond the ticket price. If there's an opportunity to give more, to do exactly what you just named, mm -hmm. do it. Do it. Yeah. I like, you know, one of the things that I've been doing outside of this and really, I think it was a really 
cool thing that you were saying earlier about really being able to sort out what you're not going to do, what you're going to do. I've been having a harder time doing because, yeah, you have those opportunities that present themselves and, you know, it feels good. It feels almost like a justification. It feels like acknowledgement. It feels like, oh, I've actually won. And, you know, I had to really take a step back and look at, all right, what are the two to three things that matter to me? And doing this podcast matters to me a lot. Um, and doing some of the community oriented stuff. So I do movie screenings um, once a month and it started off as purely movies that were filmed in Baltimore as a way to try to celebrate our culture and maybe bring attention. But also it is drawing people to this arts district. And I'm going to get back to that very soon. And that's something that matters to me because it's like, okay, I'm not just, I do a podcast. I want to do and be a part of the community. You can see me, you can touch me, you can talk with me and realize I'm a weirdo. <laughs> but also, it's just like, oh, this is a real guy and this is a person that's doing something. Yeah, I hear him having these conversations, but also he's doing this and you know, there's something that he's deciding to put on. And hopefully someone else wants to do it as well. And someone else wants to do some, something else because the art... Usually it's the first thing to go right, but I think it's resilient in that way because it's really from the people. Right. But you doing that and being intentional about it gives other people permission to think that they can't, don't, won't to do it. Yeah. Right. Like it gives you permission to say, I'm going to support this. This is important to me. And I find it awesome. It's so funny to me because sometimes I suppose I'd be like, really, Pam? You're, you're more in the area of such and such. I'm like, I'm all, I'm about it all. Like I'm mm -hmm. about the, the creative process as healing, the creative process as liberation creativity is seen as a soft skill i think it's a hard skill mm -hmm. yeah right we don't treat it as such it's like what are you told when you go to college oh my gosh don't get a liberal arts degree or don't right we're told like how are you going to make money doing that how many people went to school wanting to be an artist or who didn't who are just naturally you know able to do what they do and get the message of conditioning of you can't make a living doing that yeah, that's that's kind of what the story was for me. I was um, I wanted to be a comic book writer and um, artist when I was a kid, and it was like, oh, you should go into business, and that's what I what I went into. And ultimately, the the creative thing was still calling, and it was like um, it's this, the Austin Cleon thing, and he was talking about you know he wanted to be a musician and he stopped doing music and he felt like this weird phantom limb syndrome from his creativity. That's what I was feeling. And it led to me doing this for 13 years and diving back into doing a comic. You know, I do a comic with my girlfriend, which is really fun. And, you know, she's a writer and it's something that she's interested in. And it's just like now I'm just feeling like just open to try to just do whatever. And I feel like I'm siloed into one particular area. Oh, you only do podcasts. Now nah, I can do a little bit of everything. Absolutely. And you should. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I. I always am inspired. I always say when I'm in, you know, I, I am not a creative, but I hang out with creatives. I mean, I've written some books and all that. Um, but I just have an awe of like the ownership of, you know, the training skill set and transferable skills that come from people in the creative space and the art space yeah. is transformational. I believe it is what will bring communities together is to your point, the first to go. Mm -hmm first to get cut, the first to be ignored. I actually believe it is a great um, connector, convener, and equalizer. Yes. Uh, 
So I got one more real question before I get to those rapid fire ones, because those are always great. Uh, so here's the last one. Um, since, you know, you said you're, you know, you've been here a long time. You're a little bit of a transplant, I suppose. Not a native. So could you um, tell me a, a little about your first memory of Austin? My first memory of Austin was moving here and staying at the Holiday Inn on Town Lake while we were trying to find a house and thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, where am I? Um, and and remembering um, a first show at Stubbs. I can't even remember the artist. I was asking my brother this the other day, Bonnie Raitt. I don't even remember. And I, I don't remember who it was. And just sitting there going, I, there's going to be access to live music on a Tuesday night. I was like 11. <laughs> Not, you know, like 11. And driving down 6th Street and going, oh my gosh, look at all the lights. Like, the, their dream, like the, these lights represent like people's dreams. Like people, like because you used to be like an artist on the street a good guy on the guitar ripping on the guitar on the street i was yeah. like oh my gosh so you know so fascinating and so my early recollection was a you know a slower but more connected time on the east side i remember the fences were shorter because people talked across the fence as neighbors before gentrification um, I remember people knowing each other in a way that we don't now. We're kind of disenfranchised in our neighborhoods. And I remember um, always uh, my parents always taking us to some show, play, program, art installation, gallery, mural or whatever. And I'm happy to say that those traditions in their truest form, we have done with our kids. So yeah. my kids have been at many murals, you know, unveiling. Um, we expose them to everything. Some of the stuff they're like, what is this? Is this opera? It sucks. What are we, you know? <laughs> but, our, but our thing is exposure brings about expansion. Mm -hmm. Whether you, know, you deciding to not, not like it is fine, but we're always going to expose you to all of it. I love to hear that. But for me, it's a, it's a long journey in Austin. I, I love a city that hasn't always loved me as a black person, mm -hmm. but I still work, get up every day trying to um, strengthen it. That's great to hear. Thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this. Is, this, has been, this has been great. Now, for all the goodwill that we've established in the last half an hour or so, it's time for some rapid fire questions. Um, so please keep in mind, you want to answer these as quickly as you can. You know, just first thing that comes to mind, let's not overthink it. Here's the first one. Uh, name a gadget that you feel that's changed your life. Pop socket. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, which historical figure do you most identify with? Barbara Jordan. That's the second time that name's come up today. <laughs> um, what's your favorite movie? I'm embarrassed. The Fast and Furious Trill, The Fast and Furious <laughs> Nice. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's about family. <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed. I hate to say it, but everybody in this house knows. It, I stopped dropping roll for Fast and Furious. Anyway. 
That's great. Um, not the best acting, but it's entertaining. And I, and I think that's the point of those movies. You just want popcorn. You want to you, you, escapism, right? You know, total escapism. I mean, I feel like they they're in space at this point, and I, I've tapped out at like five. I, I think that was just at fast five, maybe. I think that was the last one I've seen. We're at nine, dude. You got to catch up. You're embarrassing. Yeah, right I'll, I'll, I'll catch up. My, my my brother loves those movies, so he's like, "Yo, look, I need to walk you through the Fast series." <laughs> uh, lastly, um, if you had to summarize what you do in terms of doing one thing well, what would it be? Navigating complexities with um, grace and empathy. Well, there you have it. Um, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Uh, and I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks, the listeners, where they can check you out, your work, all of that good stuff, website, all of that stuff. Thank you so much. This is amazing. This is absolutely by far my favorite podcast of the year. Thank you. you are phenomenal. Thank Keep you. going. And people can find me at Pamela Benson, B E N S O N Owens.com or at sixsquareatx.org. Um, and I have a podcast called Rooted myself to check out. And um, you are amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much for the opportunity. This has been great. Thank you so much. Um, so for uh, Pamela Benson Owens, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around your community, culture in and around your community, entrepreneurship in and around your community. You just got to look for it. The Truth in Us Art Beyond is produced with the generous support from Raisin in the Sun, Black Art Matters ATX, and Six Square. Raisin in the Sun is an Austin-based nonprofit organization whose work focuses on cultivating resilience through art and environmental initiatives. Find more out about their mission at RaisinInTheSun.org. Black Art Matters ATX focuses on amplifying Black voices in Austin's cultural conversation by financially supporting new work from Black artists based in Austin. Learn more about their work at BlackArtMattersATX.org. And Six Square. Their work focuses on preserving and celebrating the historical legacy of the African-American community that once thrived in Central East Austin. Learn more about their work at SixSquare.org. Thank you all for your generous support. Oh,